This episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast, was made possible by Global Blood Therapeutics and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Visit gbt.com to learn more. What's up, Warriors? It's me, Dr. Z. Me, Dr. C. Dr. C, man, we are crushing the guest game. For sure. I am uh, thrilled. We we have the Chief Medical Officer of the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America with us today in today's episode. The new and incoming. Yeah, yeah. Actually started his term and uh, we're pretty excited. He's been on the he's been on the podcast before briefly, but but this time we figured we'd give him a, an entire episode. Um, so we've got Dr. Lewis Sue from University of Illinois, Chicago, who's a pediatric hematologist and is a prolific researcher in the space of what we call implementation science. That's a big word, Dr. C. Yeah, what is that, Dr. Z? You know, we we come up with best practices and things that are, you know, things that we need to do for sickle cell disease patients the way we need to care for sickle cell disease patients. There's a blueprint, right? And um, what implementation science is, is figuring out how best to follow that blueprint. How do we get to where we need to be? How do we make sure that we're following the recipe book so that the pie turns out perfectly? And that's kind of what, what Dr. Sue is studying. And uh, he's, he's a perfect person for it because he's been at some big institutions in his career. You know, he start, started out at Yale and Children's uh, National. Yeah, spent some time at Emory. And uh, now, of course, uh, in Chicago. Um, and started you know, out are, in Rochester, New York. Yeah, exactly. All sorts of great places. And he's got a good pie recipe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a great talk at uh, the uh, annual uh, sickle cell and thalassemia meeting in London that he gave. Uh, but anyways, Warriors, you're in for a treat. Hey, hang with us. Uh, a bunch of you know Dr. Sue, probably from SCDAA, um, but we'll dive in a little bit deeper into his story. Anything else, Dr. C? No, let's get to it. All right. Cheat Codes is brought to you today by Global Blood Therapeutics. GBT is a biopharmaceutical company committed to discovering, developing, and delivering life-changing treatments that provide hope to underserved patient communities, including sickle cell disease. GBT is grounded by a mission-driven culture and built with a team of experienced and passionate people committed to making a difference in the communities it serves. Cheat Codes is grateful to GBT for supporting today's episode and for serving the sickle cell community. Hello, Warriors, and welcome to another episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast with me, Dr. Z. Me, Dr. C. Dr. C, we've got another great guest. We have been lining these guests up one after another, and it seems like we can't miss. We're on fire. We're on a roll. We've got uh, the incoming CMO of the SCDAA. Yeah, Dr. Lewis Sue. Dr. Lewis Sue is um, a big name in sickle cell disease, has been part of a lot of big historic institutions along the way, currently in Chicago at the University of Illinois, Chicago, where uh, he takes care of kids with sickle cell disease. And I, and I know uh, you guys spend some time together up at camp, so I'm hoping to hear about that too. Yeah, we'll definitely touch base on that. Welcome, 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 Dr. Sue. Thank you for being here today. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks. 
So, I mean, the first thing that we want to talk about is, is, is you. Tell us a little bit about the journey from Cornell through Rochester and uh, to where it is right now in Chicago. So I started off life wanting to use science and make a difference for people. And I thought that the way through that was for chemical engineering. And I was interested in trying to make, like, I don't know if you remember the old TV show, The Bionic Man, The Million Dollar Man. He had mechanical parts. He had different... Uh, super strengths almost, but he was a combination of engineered things and, and human heart and emotions. And I wanted to do something like that. So I was going into biomedical engineering, but as time went by, blood flow and pumps and how things move around got to be much more interesting. So I went into trying to study um, biophysics and into hematology because of this interest in how things move around. That's really interesting. That's the first connection I've ever heard from biophysics to hematology. There was so much already known in the biophysics lab, but then about sickle cell, but then you go around the corner and there's still kids in the hospital ward with pain, those 10 out of 10 and still suffering. And so a lot of the knowledge that was just around the corner in the lab was not being applied to help people yet. So I've been trying to do that. So it was Steve Austin, the $6 million man got you into sickle cell, huh? That's amazing. You spent some time at medical school was University of Rochester, right? That's right. University of Rochester in upstate New York. And that's an MD, PhD. That's right. Combined degree. Took me seven years. Wow. Got married along the way. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So met my wife in Rochester. So what was your doctorate in? It was in, well, MD and then biophysics, PhD. And what were you working on there? So I was using, at that time, the state-of-the-art computers to do math modeling of how blood flows in little tiny blood vessels through the body. And so we had a math model for that. But because the state-of-the-art computers at that time, late 1980s, the amount of computing power that you currently have in your smartphone took like an entire building. And when I did a <laughs> math model run, it took 12 hours. And we had things like punch cards and magnetic tapes and things that uh, make me in the dinosaur age for, for computers. That's too funny. You know, uh, similarly, Dr. Callahan here, his father was a statistician and business professor. And Cal Dr. Callahan would tell, tell me stories about when he was a kid, his dad would run stats experiments that would run in an entire room over several months. It used to kill me, Dr. Sue. He had like the first modem and you could see letters come across one at a time. So he would ride his bike into the University of Illinois, put these magnetic tapes on the mainframe, and then download the data through the slowest modem. So we couldn't use the phone for like three days. Three days. My, my friends couldn't call me. I just I had to go outside and talk to people to figure out what was going on. So, so bad for your social life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thankfully, we're, uh, you know, technology has advanced. And, and thankfully, a lot of that has resulted in really good things to, to, to sort of come out for our sickle cell patients. Now, the move from biophysics, because correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're, not, you're, you're not really dabbling in biophysics anymore. Not really, nope. In a while. <laughs> so, so your sickle cell disease focus, you've been, you've been involved in basically every major study along the way in different major cities and different major sickle cell centers, but basically every major sickle cell study, you've seen the clinical trials. You've been part of how the care around sickle cell disease is changing. You've helped generate some of the new guidelines and some of the new medications for sickle cell patients. Tell us a little bit about 
what you're doing right now and what your research interests look like currently. I, I want to correct you a little bit. I'm not part of like everything. In some ways, I was more like a Forrest Gump type of person, just sometimes in the right place at the right time in the scene. Been interested basically in the theme of trying to get new treatments to be tested and approved. And so first with mice, mouse models and then with human clinical trials. But now we actually have several different things that are approved. And the, the mission really is to kind of get the word out so people understand what the, what the good parts, what the bad parts uh, of these different treatments are, help people to see how to make choices and just generally build more awareness. So most of the projects I'm involved in right now are about education or about health services delivery and trying to figure out ways to get the word out. So uh, in technical terms, it's be called dissemination. And in other terms, it's called just making sure people know what's going on. So that this has been uh, the latest thing, which is pretty far away from biophysics. It's kind of cool because from my, my engineering training, uh, learned how to work in teams and learned how to talk to people who are chemists and financial people, as well as the engineers and other people doing stuff, trying to see a whole project through with crossing over between one uh, field of study or one jargon and another, I think has been very interesting. I carried some of those things over from engineering into medicine. This stuff is so important too, because you know, you've got a great discovery. It could change a lot of people's lives, but if you can't figure out how to get it to the right people at the right time, measure its effectiveness, then it's no good. So you really need to have this implementation research to take breakthroughs and make them you know, everyday treatment and really change, change the course of uh, treatment for our patients. So thanks for, thanks for doing this work. So I've got to ask Dr. Sue, is this something that, I mean, I hear about it a lot these days. We talk about implementation, implementation science quite a bit, but is this something that has been talked about all the time or is it ramping up over the last sort of five to 10 years, or are we just late to it in sickle cell disease? I don't think we're late to it. I think it has been a fairly new emerging field. And some of it is really things that people know how to do when they want to start a project or bring in some change to an organization, but didn't put a name on it. So things like listen to the people who are going to do the work and um, check with uh, how conditions are at each site before you do things, because it may not be the same at every single place. So for instance, you know, like if you were planning a military operation or something, you don't dress all your troops in exactly the same uniform. You put, send the tropical ones with a certain tropical outfit. You send the winter ones with another thing. You go with different things for sand versus ocean. Likewise, if you have a football team, you have different skills at each place and you have different equipment and you put people where they need to be. So those kinds of things, instead of a one size fits all, is kind of what the implementation science is about, is how to take the ideas and put them actually into play, into the real world. And these are things that I'm guessing, it used to be just like, that's a really smart manager, they know how to do things, but they kept it kind of secret, like a wizard or like a master. <laughs> and you never really knew what was coming next because you hadn't figured out the secrets. So the implementation science is trying to open that up a little bit, make it less of a secret so that mere mortals or other people could try to do the same kind of thing. And the place where this particularly helps is where 
things are harder to start up. If there's a harder place to bring a change because resources are low or because culture is different or because some other thing is not quite the same as what the exact setting was where it was first showed as useful for medical treatment, then that might be the place where implementation science could help you instead of failing and failing and failing. That makes a lot of sense. I, I know, you know, we do these clinical trials and a lot of times the companies will come talk to us as the PIs about, you know, what the trial should look like and what the study design should be. And I feel like sometimes they should go talk to the research coordinators and the research nurses, because when they actually roll out the trial, they've put in things that make it really hard on those people. And so they don't recruit patients very well because those people don't want to be here all weekend. And they've set up the trial so that they have to be here all weekend. And if they had talked to them ahead of time and solved that, they would accrue more patients on their study. So, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of cases where talking to the people who are going to use your product or talking to the, the, the people on the ground working, implementing things is, is so important, you know, putting some science to that's probably a good idea. So some of it is, uh, I think business have been using this for a while so that they've developed, for instance, what it feels, what kind of smartphone feels good in your hands and what, where the button should be. <laughs> and, uh, even things like where your car controls are or where the, where the different things on your clothing. All that's been developed by somebody taking human-centeredness and human-centered design. And in medicine, I know I had not been very good at this. I never heard of it before. It was always just like, well, if you made it to a complete clinical trial with hundreds of people and the data was good and it got published, then you're done. <laughs> just everybody would do it magically, but it isn't the case. So, so that brings up a really good point is, you know, we're talking about the implementation of a drug or a product, right? So so in this case, it may not be, the product may not be a drug, right? The product could be anything. So give us an example, give the warriors an idea of the type of projects, the type of things that you are trying to implement currently. What are, what are sort of those major things in sickle cell disease? What are the major themes that run through this disease group? Okay. So if it's not about a drug or a product, one of the things that we're working on is how to get certain... Um, medical news or concepts out, perhaps in the form of infographics. You've seen infographics probably where you have, you know, part of the message is conveyed in the picture and then the amount of words is not huge. So that's the opposite of those ever loving package inserts that come with my medicines. And uh, so here's my medicine bottle shaking for you for sound effect. And if with this came this five point font thin paper, I think it was like 20 inches long and 15 inches wide, covered with words. And even I telling you about this medicine and what kinds of things are good and not good about it. And even I, as a doctor, would just like throw it away because it's just too much to handle. <laughs> um, so I, I figured that my patients probably are throwing that away or I have an uncle who was just recently reading, look, looking at his medicines because he didn't have much else to do during COVID time. So he read his entire package insert. He was scared to death because it mentions every single bad thing that the lawyers have ever heard of and lists it so that the company doesn't get sued. And that's like the purpose of the package <laughs> insert. It's not to help somebody feel better about it, understand why they're taking it. It's a, uh, a, it's a CYA kind of thing. 
so the idea of an infographic would be something more like uh, a poster or like a, a kindergartner's view of things. It's like, here this is, it will help your upset, upset stomach and you can then feel better. Or here this is, it'll cut down on your sickle cell pain, not cure it, but cut it down. So that kind of simple idea and see if we could put that into a picture, see if we can also give the, the downsides, the side effects or the, the convenience or lack of convenience of something, put that into a picture too. People wanna know where did this come from? Is it uh, a product that's made from human blood sources or is it made from like manufactured in a factory or is it from what? And so for instance, we would have a infographic for glutamine showing that this has a picture of sugarcane in my infographic because that's the source of the glutamine that's, uh, that's being marketed. Whereas for something else, it might be coming more from a factory or from a certain kind of cell culture. So these kinds of things, we're hoping to have some sort of string of infographics, but because these are right now being kind of dreamed up by, the, by doctors and nurses and maybe social workers, we wanna show this to people who are actually on the user side, people who are the recipients of the information and say, hey, Mr. Jones, you're 23 years old, you have sickle cell, what do you think of this infographic? give a critique. And hey, young Tanya, you're 15 and you are thinking about this medicine for your sickle cell. What do you think of this? And you get different opinions from different like demographics, uh, different groups of people. And some people like the wording. Some people think the picture looks bad, that it's confusing, or they've never heard of sugarcane uh, or something like that. And so you polish it and you go back and forth each time with what's called a prototype and you make it better. Yeah, I... I blame Dr. Z for this kind of stuff. I've noticed now in our uh, journal articles, just mm -hmm. recently, they'll say, hey, can you make your whole paper into uh, an Instagram slide, basically, you know, make a, a visual abstract, one picture that kind of sums up the paper for everybody. And, uh, I, you know, I blame it on millennials like Dr. Z who get all their information from Twitter and 280 characters or uh, Instagram, but it, you know, it's a good thing because it brings in a big audience. People can gather a lot of information in a short time. And, you know, if they're interested, they can go read the full article, but it, at least you can transmit to a wide audience. And, and I, I think testing it the way you are is so important too, because you know, I would think everybody knows what sugarcane is, but maybe that's just because I'm an old guy. One of the interesting things in this COVID season is that everybody's kind of like got a lot of time on <laughs> online. So we've had some students taking these infographics, making them in Chicago, sending them via WhatsApp to Nigeria and polling people, getting opinions online, and then making more modifications in Chicago and sending it back. So you have the opportunity to kind of like do a focus group without ever getting on a plane or buying snacks for people <laughs> or, or having the possibility of uh, infection and exposure. Really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, definitely the globalization and the ability of individuals to connect across the world has become a lot easier these days. And that's definitely really helpful when you're trying to accomplish the type of project with the type of magnitude that you're describing. That being said, do you think that, I mean, it sounds like sometimes doing this type of research is really rigorous and really time consuming. 
I feel like sometimes one thing that we struggle with is when we're trying to implement things, by the time we're ready to go forward with the, with the process, the world has moved forward. Like we're, we're already too behind. So, so how do you deal with that? How do you do with this like rapid evolution of what's happening sort of uh, with, with the sickle cell patients and, and having to do this rigorous, really thought out, well thought out research that slows you down? Yeah, that's a good question because that's my style is I would probably keep on polishing it until it's uh, over-polished and then it's kind of too late. And there was a project recently I was on where like we were trying to develop an app. I was co- collaborating with people trying to develop an app. I wasn't doing it myself and went through multiple, multiple rounds of testing. And by the time the app was ready for use, the uh, operating systems would no longer accept it. <laughs> they had to, had to re- redo the thing. So that was kind of a bummer. So it probably takes having a team with somebody you know, kind of nudging along saying, yeah, this is good enough. This is, a, this is an A minus. You don't have to get an A plus plus. You can just start it now. It's better to get something out. Right. Yeah. I mean, because this point of operating systems, I mean, Dr. Callahan's operating system, he's he's internally running on Windows 3.1. Pen and paper, man. I'm, I'm running on Windows XP. So <laughs> we all, as humans, we have different operating systems, right? And I feel like this new generation is just um, built a little differently. I mean, our attention spans are a little bit lower and our ability to stay focused is a little lower. Um, and there's good and bad that comes with that. I mean, this is really, really interesting, interesting and important work because getting to follow the blueprints that we know work for patients is an important task. And, and getting everybody on an equal playing field is an important task. So some of our warriors in the audience may want to be part of this team and get their input and uh, give you feedback on some of this stuff. Is there ways they can do that? Do you have studies open they could be a part of? Is there uh, someone they could contact if they want to you know, critique and make sure you're, make sure you're implementing these things in a way that they, they can use? Yeah, we're going to try to get these messages out as uh, as often as we can with as many opportunities for people to join in as possible. Participation is is the, the big thing. And so one of the things that's coming out right now is uh, not quite on a on a developing a new project, but still collecting information from folks with sickle cell to do a survey. And so this one can be, I hope we can put a link out for it, that'll be trying to look at what kinds of things have made people not go to a sickle cell specialist to stay kind of off, uh, not affiliated, not connected with the sickle cell specialists. Uh, Are there certain barriers? Are there bad episodes in the past? What kinds of things would bring somebody like that back to sickle cell care? And part of the idea is to just figure out, uh, it's almost like marketing, it's like finding what the audience wants but uh, trying to get a survey out to collect some of those opinions is important because if we never find out what people want, then that group of the market or that group of the people are just going to get missed with whatever recruiting and outreach approaches we have. Yeah, it seems like it's a really important time to answer that question too, because we may have some warriors who were going to treatment centers in the past. They were frustrated. They were not, you know, not getting better. The didn't feel like it was helping, but now we got more tools and they may have a better experience. We have a bigger network of doctors. I think, you know, it's a really great community of treaters. And so if you had a bad experience five years ago and you're not seeing the sickle cell doctors anymore, it may be time to come back and 
and so I think you know figuring out why people left and and uh, what they need to come back is important. Another thing I want to mention is uh, that just about a month ago, at, at the very end of September Sickle Cell Awareness Month, the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine (ASEM) (NASEM) uh, released a report that's about a blueprint for sickle cell strategies, and it's kind of a challenge to the to the country, to the medical system, to do more for sickle cell and with a short timeline, like within a couple of years, here's a recommendation, an objective, a target for sickle cell research, for sickle cell care, but also for sickle cell awareness. And so having some of these things laid out as a, here's a goal, uh, is in this NASEM report. And a lot of it doesn't particularly take tons of money or research labs do. Some of it is just building awareness in the community about what is sickle cell, what kinds of people have sickle cell, what kinds of issues or needs there may be, and likewise about sickle trait. And these are things that have not gotten tons of attention when you're working with um, biomedical types of topics. They often are just more about the latest treatment, the latest drug but these kind of awareness things is actually part of the call for action. And this is an opportunity for warriors to get involved because a lot of this probably could be started from just being online. It doesn't necessarily have to require travel or money. Yeah, that NASEM report is great. In episode 20 of the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did kind of a dive into it and, and went through a lot of it. And last week when Admiral Gerard was on, he told us a little bit about how that came into being and he was saying, you know, what a great document it is and how they can leverage that in the government. I think he may have mentioned also that this is a call for action. It doesn't have money or people to do the action yet. So political advocacy and volunteer activity is what's going to accomplish some of this too. So that that's a good segue. So now you're the CMO of SCDAA. You've been involved with SCDAA for a long time. Um, what what sort of things does the CMO do, and and are you involved in that lobbying? Are there plan plans for the year? Well, we have to be very careful about not using exactly the word lobbying because then it would endanger the five hundred one c three nonprofit status. But we can talk about awareness and education, and uh, and so that will be a part of the job. I'm still figuring out some of this job. My predecessor, Dr. Barry Andamarian, was very 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 competent and uh, talented in all kinds of different ways, but especially public speaking. So she has mucho public speaking opportunities with uh, radio, TV, newspaper, Congress, think tanks, whatever kind of thing. Yeah, she did a wonderful job at the congressional hearing. Yeah, that was really good. So huge shoes to fill here. And then also she is an adult sickle cell doc, and I'm pediatric, and sometimes I'm kid-like and immature. <laughs> Try to get more mature a little bit. We like that. So I think that part of it will be continuing this general push to make sure that there is a, uh, a nice balanced message of what is the passion of what people want and what is scientific and medically the best information, but also trying to build alliances and build groups that can work together on some of the things in, for instance, that NASEM report or have groups built to gather together the volunteer efforts that could be available so that we can take the best advantage of this time when there's just so much going on in sickle cell, so much progress, so much attention. Because I, I 
I'm afraid I don't think that the attention will last forever. There will be times when <laughs> tension goes away, and turns to something else. So this is going to be making hay while the sun shines, trying to make the best progress for building good healthcare systems, better educational stuff. We probably will try to have some sort of, maybe not official, but some sort of building of recognition. What is a sickle cell expert? What is a sickle cell center? What is the required thing that insurance company ought to be looking for if they send somebody for sickle cell care. These kinds of things exist for other conditions like cystic fibrosis or diabetes. Did you know there's such a thing as a diabetes educator certification and a billing for that? And for sickle cell, anybody could just say, yeah, I'm an expert. And they could have been doing it for a week <laughs> or they could have been doing it for 30 years. And so those kinds of things would be stuff that we're moving toward. Right now, it's still figuring out exactly where the priorities are, but there's many, many possibilities. We're very excited to have you in this role. And I, I, I for one, can can speak on uh, how, how well you connect with people who are willing to learn, whether it's uh, residents, fellows, patients with sickle cell disease. I've seen you teaching and I've seen you speaking, and I think you're selling yourself a little short on your ability to public speak. You do really well with that. I, I, I've got to ask you, we, I want to jump back to implementation science. You know, we talked sort of about your efforts a little bit. T tell me a little bit about, are there other, other people who are like-minded, who, who, who are working on this type of process with you? Are there efforts more nationally looking specifically at ways to enhance the way we're implementing evidence-based guidelines in sickle cell disease? Is there, is there like a, a group of individuals that are just solely focused on this particular problem? Yeah, there's a group with uh, a lot of emphasis on this where uh, NIH has funded a sickle cell disease implementation consortium. So there's eight sites around the country with hematologists working in sickle cell, adult sickle cell, as well as implementation scientists at each place collaborating together to try to figure out better ways to help people understand about hydroxyurea and to take hydroxyurea or to see who is it's suitable for, help people to uh, work on the big problems with sickle cell care in the emergency department about uh, lack of understanding or delays, just uneven care from one ED to another, or even from one shift to another. And then trying to figure out what kinds of things to do for quote, unaffiliated patients, unquote, to see how we can bring sickle cell care to more people. Uh, whether it's somebody who's rural and far away from the academic center that has sickle cell expertise, or if it's somebody around the block who's just disgruntled, doesn't like the sickle cell doc that they met, or maybe it's they're around the block, but they can't come because of some insurance barrier, or they work always in the daytime. They can never come to an appointment in the day. They, they need to have an evening appointment. So these things we're still trying to figure out. Uh, or maybe it's different language or culture. And uh, so like at my place, even though we're in a very multicultural, multi-ethnic city in Chicago, we don't quite see that big multiculturalness in our sickle cell centers. So I have a feeling there's some sickle cell patients missing that haven't come to find us and we have to do a better job of outreach. We've talked to Dr. Z about the uh, Pakistani outreach or more Spanish language activities. I'm going to try to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses next month so that we can get through the fears that some people have about their religious objection to transfusion being violated. 
So different segments of society who might have sickle cell, uh, trying to figure out how to reach them. In Chicago, you have a lot of diversity in multiple sickle cell centers. Do you guys get different populations? Do you have, like, uh, you're at UIC, but there's Northwestern, there's uh, University of Chicago, and uh, other sites. Are you guys, like, do all the Pakistani patients from that road with the delicious food all go to one center and all of the south side of Chicago? What's the name of that road? Dr. Z took me up there once. Devon. Good eating. I don't think we've divided things on purpose, but there are some places where, for instance, there's different uh, hematologists with different ethnicities. And so there may be some natural draw. I know that there's one pediatric hematologist who is over in Central DuPage who speaks Arabic. And so I send Arabic patients to him because it would be silly otherwise. Um, and uh, I haven't gotten any Chinese sickle cell patients in return, but someday. <laughs> I think mostly it's been divided by uh, insurance patterns, insurance referral patterns. Very, very, very interesting. I think just a general encouragement to people that this is a time of huge progress in sickle cell. This is a time to pay attention, even though there's so much else going on with national politics, with COVID. This is also a time where the sickle cell community can mobilize now to have a unified message, really make some progress that can set the tone for better things for the next many years. Yeah, that's that's very well said. I I I think the point you made about attention is so important, is that we've got the spotlight shining on us right now, but uh, there's no guarantee it's going to stay where it is. Um, so we should take advantage of the spotlight while we have it. All right. Well, Dr. Mike, anything else you want to add here? Yeah, I, I thought, uh, you know, one thing we should touch on a little bit is every summer, the two of you, and I, I've gotten up there very uh, intermittently, um, you guys go to hell. Hell, Michigan. We, 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 and, that's uh, right. Yeah. yeah, and you go to sickle cell camp there, and yeah. uh, I mean, this has just been the last few years, but it, it's a great program. I mean, I, I know uh, the the warriors from our clinic who go up there have a great experience every summer. I, I think you know, in hemophilia camp is a rite of passage. I mean, all of the kids go to hemophilia camp and they learn to infuse themselves and. I, I'm so happy that this is starting to be a thing in sickle cell. And I, I uh, you know, really appreciate you guys going up there. But uh, you have any any good camp stories about uh, Amar at, uh, at at camp up there, Dr. Sue? Uh, he's like a, at camp. He would be like a like a big teddy bear getting swarmed by by kids. <laughs> Like, so it's basically just like clinic here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. He did have a skill of always being the first one to get the golf cart. That is my favorite part about camp. Yeah, and he'd be tooling <laughs> around in the golf golf cart at a at a goodly rate of speed. <laughs> oh, I miss camp. I'm sad we couldn't do it this summer, but uh, you know, hopefully next summer we'll be another shot at getting getting back there. It's uh, it's definitely the best part of the year seeing the kids in their sort of natural state and having fun and getting to learn from you. I have a camp story about Dr. Sue. You know, he was trying to teach the counselors about sickle cell. And this is the first time I'd ever seen this. 
he wanted to show them what it looks like when a sickle cell gets stuck compared to a red blood cell. So he pulled out an orange and he had a banana. For the blood vessel, he used like pantyhose and he showed how a smooth orange as a smooth red blood cell that's disc shaped makes its way through so easily. But a sickle shape like the banana gets stuck. And that was honestly one of the best uh, analogies that was uh, just so tangible in that moment to those counselors. But that's I, the uh, University I, of Rochester Strong School of Medicine, PhD in biophysics, reality there. Huh? <laughs> Panty, pantyhose and fruit. It is. It's called flow visualization if you do a fancy. <laughs> charge more for that you want a picture yeah there's a biophysics word for you awesome awesome well dr sue this was just this was wonderful you know i know that you have a survey that's going around potentially that warriors could participate in mm-hmm. and that's that nih study about why people are not in their centers and what they need to come back all right we'll get a link up for that so is it just for patients or is it for caregivers as well um it is for patients really 18 and up in the u.s okay Okay, great. So we will make sure that we share that in the show notes for Warriors. Please make sure you get onto that survey. It shouldn't take more than 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Do you want everybody or you want just people who are not being seen at sickle cell centers? Uh, it's, it's to find out about people who are not being seen at sickle cell centers. If people who used to not be seen want to give opinions about why they came back, that would be helpful too. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there you go, Warriors. Make sure you check out the link in the show notes and... Um, Help Dr. Sue help you and, and, and get him some of the some of the data that he needs to, you know, help implement uh, optimal care for sickle cell patients. Thank you again, Dr. Sue, for making time. We appreciate having you on. Thanks very much. We'll have to have you back. Thanks, Dr. Sue. Appreciate it. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Global Blood Therapeutics. Visit GBT.com to learn more about GBT's commitment to advancing the treatment and care of people affected by sickle cell disease. Dr. C, I feel like we have a lot of work to do. Uh, Dr. Sue has inspired me. He's inspired me to do better. And he's inspired me to be part of the process of doing better. And I am... I'm really happy that we have people like him who are paying attention to things like implementation science and, and how we are following the blueprint that's going to get us to the end zone. Yeah, we need that. I mean, you, you get the blueprint is a challenge and it's great, but if you don't follow it, what good is it? Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of like, a, you know, I'm a basketball player. Do, do you know this about me? You know, I'm pretty good at basketball. I, I want to see this, but okay. And when you when you shoot a jumper, you know, the most important part, arguably, of that jump shot is your follow-through. I thought it's keeping your elbow in. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's part of it, right? But but your follow-through is really what, that's what gets you the splash. You know, that's what gets you that swish. So so really, I mean, I think that that's so crucial. This is, this is we've got, we know how to shoot the shot, but now we just got to keep that follow-through and we got to keep that ball spinning to get it through the net. That's kind of how I feel about implementation science at this point. I'm really happy with... Uh, you know, where we are in the sickle cell disease space, where we are able to identify what we're doing poorly and uh, work towards doing better. For sure. And, you know, I think we've had a wonderful string of guests. This is our 24th episode and uh, must be doing some follow through because they're all going through the net. 
You know what, man? I was thinking about this. We're 24 episodes in and I, the, the list of guests. I mean, there are so many people that I want on this. We haven't even, we haven't even started scratching the surface yet. For those of you listening who haven't been invited on yet, it's coming. The, the invite is coming. Don't wait for the invite. If you want to be on, let us know. Just shoot, shoot us a message. Shoot us, shoot us an email. We're, we're happy to have people on. This is everybody's podcast. This is not just me and Dr. Mike. This is this is all of us. This is this is the community's podcast. So let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. And uh, of course, subscribe, share with somebody who you think could learn about sickle cell disease. Check in every few weeks for a new episode. And uh, keep living well with sickle cell, guys. Follow Dr. Z on Instagram at Dr. Z Sickle Cell. And follow him at the same handle on Twitter. That's right. And me at Imagineer on Twitter. And I'll have to get one of these Instagrams soon, Dr. Z. Yeah, we're going to have to bring you into the uh, 19th century. Kicking and screaming. (laughs) All right, Warriors. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.